Farming Programme with Araquit Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. This morning we take a look at what's claimed to be the world's first seeding and weeding robot. The machine will actually sow and hoe high-value produce. It's all driven by the power of daylight. And we ask, where are we with elms? The CLA's not happy with progress. Because we've been waiting for a huge amount of time and we're still lacking that detail. Plus, of course, agronomy advice, crop, livestock and grain market reports. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, I'm Steve Orchard, all wrapped up nice and warm. All of a sudden, it's winter. Let's start with details of a couple of grants available to farmers. Firstly, the Slurry Infrastructure Grant. Here's Lucy Turner from Masons and Partners at Louth. Lucy, what can you tell us about this grant? It's available to pig, beef and dairy farmers across the country. The grant is available for farmers who already operate a slurry system and helps those invest in future-proof slurry infrastructure. The minimum grant is 25,000 um, and the maximum is 250,000. The funding is essentially for the replacement or expansion of any existing slurry stores or the construction of a new one to provide at least six months worth of uh, slurry storage. Now the aims of the grant are to make better use of organic nutrients, improve air and water quality and to reduce the greenhouse gases. Lucy, does it have to be any particular type of structure? Uh, yes, covered infrastructure such as above ground steel stores, uh, concrete stores and impermeable covers in order to mitigate ammonia emissions and also, there are additional items which you can apply for, such as transfer pumps, chopper pumps and uh, mixers as well. OK, now you said the, the minimum and maximum is 25000 to 250000 How is that as a proportion of the total cost? If successful, you'll receive a fixed contribution for each item, which is based upon the type of storage that you plan to build. They've based it upon 50% of the current market cost. The funding is competitive and we suspect that there will be quite a high demand for this initial tranche of funding. All right, Lucy. Lucy Turner from Mason's Rural in Laos. Thank you very much for joining us on the Farming Programme. Thanks so much, Steve. There's more detail about the grant on Mason and Partners website. That's masonandpartners.co.uk and click on the news section. Also available now is grant funding for rainwater harvesting equipment and installation. Michael Jordan from JRH Water in Lincoln's here to tell us about it. First, Michael, though, what is rainwater harvesting? Rainwater harvesting, in its simplest form, is collecting roof water and putting it through a filtration system and then putting it into store tanks and then that water can be used for spraying, irrigation, livestock watering, washdowns, things like that. Okay, and there is a grant available, I gather, to help with the cost of this? Yes, there is. Um, There's the capital grant through um, catchment sensitive farming, which if you're in the catchment zones, which quite a lot of people sort of around Lincolnshire, uh, Nottinghamshire and uh, Leicestershire and things like that are in those catchment zones, they can then um, claim capital expenditure back against rainwater goods. So that's tanks, filters, pipe work, guttering and things like that. Okay, where does the grant come from? It comes through um, catchment sensitive farming, which is through DEFRA. Okay, what sort of amounts are we talking about and, you know, what kind of percentages of the actual cost? 
You can claim um, on above ground tanks £100 per cubic metre and then on a filter you get £125 and then on any sort of uh, pipe work or guttering you get £11.40 a metre. In most cases on a supply and install system through us um, you'd be getting about 50%. Full details about the grants and how to apply can be obtained from JRH Water's website, which is jrhwatermanagement.co.uk. Thanks to Michael Jordan from JRH Water. We seem to have been talking forever about the replacement for the basic payment scheme, ELMS, the Environmental Land Management Scheme. The CLA has expressed some serious dissatisfaction with the progress to date. Regional Director Kath Crowther, before you tell me why, where are we at the moment with the scheme? So we know that we've got that lower tier of sustainable farming incentives and we really, really need more detail of what the standards are going to be in 2023 and what the payment rates are there. And then that second tier, which was going to be that local nature recovery, that is going to be countryside stewardship plus. That is something that the CLA has very much been lobbying on for the countryside stewardship scheme, which the generally, you know, the, the industry has confidence in. There are a huge number of farmers who are already in a countryside stewardship scheme. So um, it's building on that and improving um, that. And then there's um, the landscape recovery on that third tier where there are projects being piloted at the moment. And alongside that, there's lots of other grants and other funding that's are available, um, but the key is to make sure that we actually have some detail on what the sustainable farming incentive standards are going to be in 2023 and beyond. Okay, now why are you unhappy with the government? Um, Because we've been waiting for a huge amount of time and we're still lacking that detail. So, you know, six years this has been talked about And we're now two years into the transition. And um, after promises of early introduction, farmers still have no clarity on what will be paid um, beyond 2022. 2023 is only a month away. So really important that we understand what standards are going to be available in 2023, what requirements will be under those standards, and what the payment rates will be to ensure that there's confidence in the schemes, you know, we were first promoting the model of public money for public good nearly 20 years ago. We absolutely think that it is the right direction to go in, but confidence is on the brink of disappearing if we don't get that certainty um, soon. So it, it's still about the detail, really. That's what you, you're still after, the amounts and the actual specifics. What's been the government's response? Um, well, you know, we've had a little bit of political turmoil um, over the last few months. You can't blame a new Secretary of State for persistent delays. The last Secretary of State had announced that review of Elms where things were. Uh, there was lots of rumours around Elms was going to be scrapped. Now, that was never going to be the case, but there was uh, definitely a lesson to be learned on how not to do communications. So a review is right because Elms is not perfect as it currently stands and there are a huge number of improvements to be made to ensure that 
it is as attractive as possible to as many people as possible. The trouble with reviews is, of course, they end up just kicking the can further down the road every time, don't they? Which is exactly our point. You know, we cannot wait any longer. So we have been promised that we will get announcements early in the new year. We are pushing to make sure that is early January not pushing into February, March um, or later because it is not fair for businesses to keep working with this uncertainty. Now, with this put, having um, been pushed back again uh, in terms of the introduction of Elms, does that mean that farmers are still going to be in receipt of basic payment? Yes, yeah, so a lot of farmers received their payment last week and will continue through December We are aware that there are strikes within the RPA and we're very much hoping that doesn't impact on payments. So they will be receiving their basic payments, although at a reduced rate. And so that's the key is to make sure that we can make up that reduction that they're receiving in their payments. I think what what our key concern here, Steve, is also that this is a wider theme around support for the rural economy and, you know, agriculture is the backbone of the rural economy, but it goes further than that. We just feel there's a complete lack of ambition for the rural economy. We held our um, the CLA's national conference uh, on Thursday last week, and that was titled Overcoming Barriers to Business Success. And we ran through themes that we've been talking about over and over again, A planning regime that seems designed to hold economies back, lack of affordable housing so that young people are being driven away to towns and cities, outdated infrastructure, weak connectivity, really preventing rural businesses operating like they would want to be. And we recognise that government can't solve all our problems The industry is hugely adaptable, but we need some policies that is supportive to ensure that rural businesses achieve what they they really could be doing. Now, Kath, I took over presenting this programme nearly three years ago now, and I seem to recall one of the first interviews I did was talking about exactly the same subject. Have we made absolutely no progress in those three years? Um, I'd probably say that, yes. So on Thursday at the conference... Trade Coffee did talk about um, some improvements in broadband. You know, a little bit of broadband here and there really doesn't cut it. We're 12 years into a Conservative-led government and we have a government made up of MPs who represent rural communities and the policy environment for rural businesses is not much better than it was all those years ago when Conservative-led government came into power We're not expecting lots of money because we know there's not money there. But rural areas, the countryside is not a museum and we are having policies that are completely stifling rural communities at the moment. Do you think if they don't get this sorted out, it's going to affect votes from rural, traditional conservative areas? Well, that is what the polling suggests. There is clearly a move away from support for conservative government. And I think there's a huge way to go to demonstrate that the current government understands the rural economy and how the rural economy is being held back. We have Labour knocking on our door. We have Lib Dems announcing rural policies to support 
rural businesses. And so um, we need the Conservatives, who mostly represent these communities that we're talking about, um, to step up if they want the rural voter um, to, to keep voting for them. All right, Kath, well, let's keep an eye on things as ever. Thanks, Kath Crowther, for joining us on the Farming Programme this morning. Thanks, Dave. To the brackets cold and frosty close brackets fields now for a crop report and some timely pre-Christmas agronomy advice from Sean Sparling with his winter draws on. Morning, Sean. Yes, very good morning to you, Steve. Bit of a shock to get winter so dramatically turning up this week. Only a week ago, we were talking about the second spring. Daffodils, bluebells, crocuses showing themselves in the garden. We were talking about wheat and barley greening up by the day and allseed rape pushing its flowers out a week ago. Then, bam! Just goes to show how much the weather governs all that we do in farming, doesn't it? So, minus three very widely on several nights over the last few nights. Winter is definitely here with a bang. So, do take care if you're spraying anything other than propizomide on a frost. In other words, if it isn't propizomide, probably don't. If you've got a graminicide or a fungicide in with that propizomide, then don't go on a frost either. Light leaf spot will now be being dealt with quite widely and better than we can with a fungicide by the weather. It's questionable how much good that you're going to do anyway in these temperatures with any fungicide on all seed rate. It's getting cold enough now as well, by the way. It's been down to minus five with me, and that's cold enough to kill the aphids. It's cold enough to kill bird cherry oat aphids grain aphids rose grain aphids will succumb at about one minus one minus one and a half so even less need in cereals then to go making a mess than there was cold enough to kill money spiders too though sadly but there's nothing we can do about that those little spiders obviously have been around for millions and millions of years and they're still here so i'm guessing they can probably look after themselves so disease levels in all seed rate now generally low if it stays cold like this it's unlikely that the plants are going to utilize any applied fungicide efficiently anyway they'll really slow down their growth in these temperatures and this is after all the beginning of the overture it's the start of the winter anyway so prioritize that propizomide in the oilseed rape over the rest of the spraying in these conditions winter wheat's looking pretty good generally i see some people have been out making a right mess in some of these wheat fields roots a foot deep and more out here in places no idea what it was that was so important it had to go on in those conditions but there must have been a good reason certainly doesn't appear that it's going to get much easier anyway does it in terms of traveling although there will be those who see these hard frosts as a good convenient and the only way that they can see to get any traveling on some of these wheat fields if you do go out on a frost just make sure the crop is a big enough b hard enough and c ugly enough i don't know why i said that last one but it is important that any cereals that are sprayed in frosty conditions are sufficiently winter hardy to withstand the effects of the tank mix every chemical every product that we apply contains plenty of things other than just the active substance obviously that's the bit that we base all our decisions on but every product is formulated to contain several of a mixture of carriers wetters to penetrate the wax layers stickers to make sure they stick onto the leaf surface extenders surfactants that act on the wax layer of the leaf penetrants to carry the active substance into the leaf so it's a formulated medium to optimize and maximize the target efficiency so if you go onto a frosted leaf, which by definition will have an affected leaf surface, then the risk of scorch and crop damage, hopefully at worst a bit of leaf tipping, but possibly serious leaf damage can result. So it's important to ensure that any crop has no rime on the leaf, 
if it's a weed killer or a contact material because that's where the spray is going to be absorbed into the ice and just run off when that ice melts but also that the crop has had a few frosts before you go spraying and at least one and preferably two nights clear of those frosts to allow the lipid layer the wax layer on the leaf to rebuild nice and thick because that after all is what is protecting the leaf from the products we're using so speak to your advisor prioritize or simplify these mixes everything that you put in the tank adds its own little cocktail of these adjuvants and surfactants so the fewer things you apply in a tank mix then the safer that mix is likely to be and of course if you're putting contact graminicides on like Hatra or Horus or Atlantis, OD, etc., then you need a dry blackgrass leaf and you're very unlikely to get that just at this moment. Now, some of the wheats are being broadcast on and cultivated in uh, because they can't get the drills into the field, but do watch those label restrictions, particularly when it comes to the selectivity by depth protection part. If it's only just been broadcast on and scratched in, it's unlikely to be safe if the label is stipulating a 35 to 40 millimetre and covered safe drilling depth. So be aware, talk it through with your advisor. Most of the oilseed rape and cereals crops, to be fair, are now big enough to stand a few slugs and pigeons, but keep your eyes open, particularly on the more backward pieces, the later drilling, both rape and cereals for that matter. So with Christmas only a couple of weeks to go then, and with the winter to hear with a huge rush over the last few days we're getting to the point of now starting to think in what's going to change over the next few weeks and possibly months so will these sprays wait until the spring before we get to put them on and i'm sure there are already plenty who've already put antifreeze in the sprayer and put it away for the year so there's plenty still needs doing that isn't out in the field you've got to get your plans for next spring cropping your fertilizer plans etc you can't start soon enough for that sort of thing there's nutrients management plans the nmax the four point nitrogen plans the organic manure record and all of those plans the environmental schemes which incidentally as we've just heard earlier on we still have no real finality about what's going on with some of them so there's plenty to do off the land and in the office plenty to think about plenty needs your attention so i've had enough of it for another week really i'm off to the willow farm shop on the bardney causeway now to go and grab myself a tree before all the nice ones are gone it's like a tardis in there if you've never been it just keeps going back when you get in there always good for a nosy round in that place anyway i'm running out of things to talk about this year agronomically and i'm beginning to annoy myself so let's see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean that's sean sparling sparling agronomy services the farming program with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook industrial estate grantham supplying the region for over 40 years at the recent Midlands Machinery Show at Newark Showground, there was plenty of new tech on display, some of which we've already spoken about. One machine being demonstrated was the Farm Droid, an autonomous seeding and weeding robot distributed in the UK by Opico. Sales manager Harvey Sherwin showed me what it could do. Harvey, tell us a bit about Farm Droid. Farm Droid is an autonomous machine, uh, and it's fully electronically driven and fully electronically operated machine but the machine will actually sow and hoe high value produce. It's all driven by the power of daylight. Uh, so what we're actually doing with the solar panels, taking any surplus power and storing that into some power packs and the power packs then will enable the machine to work through the night for a 24 hour cycle. Now at the moment we've got a fairly cloudy day. It started off rather nice this morning, but it's clouded over now. How does it cope with weather like this? 
if we're on a overcast day, we weren't doing 24 hours a day operation. We were nearer 12 to 14 hours. We have got a way of uh, overcoming this if people are drilling early part of the year. We do have an additional power pack system now so we can go from two lithium batteries up to four. Well, the power pack is able to be recharged at the farm in the morning and then placed or replaced later on in the day to enable this machine to go through the night. Okay, so it seeds, it weeds. How is it knowing which is which? It's not doing this by camera recognition, is it? No, I mean, initially how we set up the HMI uh, control system, we can either select if we are going to sow the, the crop or we're going to weed it. After we've drilled, we then go back to the start point of number one in the field, and then we will go through the process of blind hoeing. Blind hoeing is where we have weeding wires working five to 10 millimeters underneath the soil, and we are disturbing and bringing up the weed fibrous roots and bringing that up on top of the soil so allow that will desiccate and die naturally. After the weeding process, and obviously how the crop matures and grows, so we start to get emergence from that crop, we then look at two options of either we go to inter-row hoeing, so we are literally traveling up and down the row and weeding in between the row, or we can then go what we call intra-hoeing, and intra-hoeing is where it will weed in between the seed placement. And we said, how do we know where this seed is? We are not dependent on camera recognition. The sowing side of this machine is where we place the seed and it is formed as a grid. So on the software of this machine, it knows the size of the field, where it's placed it, and also the spacing. So this will repeat and you can actually save this field for other times and different crops. And talking about crops, what kind of crops is this relevant for? For us in the UK, we've been dealing with flowers, organic onions, sugar beet, turnips. Okay, now this isn't a big machine, what is it, a couple of metres square. Does that limit the size of a farm that it's relevant for? The machine which we are looking at today is a six-row machine. These rows are set at 22.5 centimetre. Ideally for, for a single farm droid, wants to be working on a 20 hectare site. 20 hectares is where you can manage multi-hoeing cycles. The idea for this is to remove herbicides into the industry. Herbicides is a big thing and costs. By doing multiple hoeing, the machine can do it, repetitive work, it knows exactly where it is, what it's doing, minimal input from any personnel on the farm. So labour saving, herbicide saving, but also where the machine sits just below 1,000 kgs, it is a very lightweight machine, so we're actually not damaging the structure of the ground. By a farm droid, we're actually helping and increasing yields. So the the tear weight or the growth and the yield from that from that farm now is increasing purely because how the husbandry of we're understanding the soils and not not damaging it. Okay, sixty four thousand dollar question. How much is one of these? If you look a if you look at a farm droid at the moment with a complete base station six row machine, you're going to be around seventy six thousand pound, depending if you want the power pack. The power pack will be uh, additional five and a half six thousand pound. Harvey, thank you. No worries. Thank you, sir. To our weekly market reports now. Firstly, from Louth Livestock Market auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Oliver. 
Morning Steve, another weekly roundup from here at last, starting with the prime cattle. Heifers sell to 260 pence per kilo and gross 1582 pounds for F. Wallace and Son of Biscothorpe, while the steers sell to 230 pence per kilo and gross 1399 pounds for the University of Lincoln. Steers all in average 222.5 pence per kilo, with the heifers all in averaging 229.69 pence per kilo. On to the lambs which see an SQQ of 249.45 pence per kilo, with an all-in average of 246.5 pence per kilo. Top goes to Scribblesby Farms Limited, both in the pounds per head and the pence per kilo, at 145 pounds, or 308 pence per kilo. Moving on to the cool ewes, and 103 sold, all-in average, 103 pounds and 40 pence. To top for Shaw Brothers of Binbrook at £176 per head. Huge thank you to everyone that's been supported this week, both buyers and vendors. Prime and cool cattle, prime and cool sheep are required for next Monday's market, so please do not hesitate to contact me. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with this week's grey market report from Openfield, Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. I've been thinking hard this week as to what to talk about in this report. I am nervous to keep droning on about negative news in a market that seems to keep running down. It is not exactly the festive, cheery news we've been looking for, so I'm going to try to keep things positive. After hitting a one-year low on Tuesday, Seabot Wheat, which is the American futures market, bounced on Wednesday. I appreciate this is just one day in isolation, but the fact that Friday saw the monthly USDA data should not be lost on us. This was recorded prior to this data being released, unfortunately, so we'll go over the findings next week. Brent's crude found support midweek as news floated through that the tankers were still stuck in the Bosphorus due to the Turks elongating the paperwork requirements for Western-insured tankers, while Russian-insured tankers were being let through far easier. Turkey really is playing a game of both sides here. Let's just hope they don't bite off too much. Russian grain exporters are truly tracking along. Plenty of stories regarding bad weather in the Black Sea, but analysts do not anticipate seeing this as a major issue. Outloading at Russian Black Sea ports is at full pace, albeit slowed in the past few days due to weather, but this appears to be subsiding. Ukraine wheat and maize remains cheap, but availability is once again becoming questionable. On the face of it, every buyer in the world should be buying Black Sea, but not everybody wants Russian produce, and Ukraine's exports are slowing up through a mix of power cuts and bureaucratic delays. The EU could then become key, which is one of the reasons that ports remain busy. Demand may well be down, but bear in mind that we have had more positive news in the last 48 hours on this, with the largest consumer in the world, that is China, relaxing Covid restrictions. This announcement, combined with the probably short covering of seabot wheat, has led to a small recovery in the last 48 hours. Global wheat markets have been lower on Monday and Tuesday before recovering from a 13-month low from there. American weather remains a key focus, as Brazil seems to be faring a little better, but Argentina are looking extremely dry, with maize plantings well behind normal at 25% versus the 40% average. Regarding oilseed rape, we have had another quiet week with virtually no trade, and prices finding not much strength to build on. Domestically, crushers have cover into the new year and have no reason to chase. Feed compounders are buying hand-to-mouth, struggling to make fresh product sales due to demand, in part to bird flu and also to cover that's already been taken. Just one word of caution at the end. Multiple consumers are rolling big tonnages of grains into months in the new year and beyond. There are plenty of months ahead of us, so there is no reason to panic, but be mindful of what you have left to sell and when you want it cleared out of your shed. Planning is a really tough gig in this climate, but there are other issues that don't relate to the war going on around us, which aren't going to disappear overnight. 
we all need to keep our chins up as there is plenty of supporting news out there. But it also won't do us any good if we bury our heads in the sand. So the important thing is to keep talking. Prices for this week. Feed wheat, February 230 to 238. April 233 to 241. November 23, 215 to 225. And May 24, 221 to 231. Milling wheat premiums are still holding at around 55 to 60 pounds. Feed barley, February 205 to 215, May 210 to 220, and November 23, 180 to 190. We still have demand for malting barley New Year and beyond. Please call for firm values here. All seed rape in the new year, your circa 470 to 480. But again, please call for firm values. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks again, Alice. More from the market, same time next week. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. A cold week on the way, temperatures barely getting above freezing during the day, never mind at night. Staying calm and dry for most of the week, minus one or two all day today and into Monday. Maybe just getting into positive territory during the day tomorrow, but that's about it for the rest of the week. Overnight lows, most days of minus three Celsius. This week I'm visiting a Lincolnshire farm that welcomes visits from underprivileged kids. And next Sunday, don't forget, it's the Louth Christmas Charity Tractor Run. We'll hear from organiser Taryn Lee on next week's farming programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.